Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now here's your host. Hello, friends, and welcome to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and recently I had a blast because I got to spend the afternoon with one of the most inspiring Christ followers on the planet, Nick Vujicic. Nick is an evangelist and motivational speaker reaching over 600 million people with the gospel message through his ministry, Life Without Limbs. Nick regularly speaks to crowds around the world about overcoming obstacles and his faith in God. He's been featured on a number of popular television programs, and his YouTube videos have been viewed millions of times. Nick is also an author, and his most recent book, Be the Hands and Feet, is available in February 2018. On this week's episode, Nick and I discuss some important leadership lessons, including how ministry leaders can best address the stresses of ministry, why encouraging our people to share their personal stories of being rescued by Jesus is imperative to being a healthy church, why evangelism in the local church is not happening as effectively as it could, and how to change that. Nick is incredibly practical as he encourages us to take steps into leading our local churches into embracing the mission of God. These are excellent insights for us all. So now I invite you to join me in my conversation with the always inspiring Nick Vujicic. Nick, I just want to thank you for being with us here. Join us in the studio for the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for being here. Jason, thank you for having me. Awesome, brother. Now, you are a full-time evangelist. You've literally traveled around the world sharing the hope and truth of Jesus Christ. And just to kind of kick this off, um, I want to ask you a, a question. If you kind of address something that I think a lot of us in ministry uh, wrestle with at times, and that is we wake up in the mornings and we might feel worn, worn down. We might feel discouraged. And um, how can we help address that? Uh, you know, we've got ministry ahead of us, and sometimes we feel guilty because it's, you know, we get to do one of the greatest things in the world, share the hope of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we just feel worn down. So how can we kind of work through that and process through that? You know, uh, me as a son of a pastor, um, seeing the behind the scenes of of the church, there's a lot of stresses that come with that. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I want to make sure that I I don't become stale at is getting used to my little bubble. For me, uh, to get out of that bubble, I go spend some time with foster kids or go feed the homeless at Union Rescue Mission. Things like that, that that take me out of my world and, and go into somebody else's. And seeing how Jesus would continue to give. Um, for me, it's it's having the discipline as well of knowing what only you can do in your role and what you can delegate uh, and sometimes uh, what you should stop doing. Um, you don't even have to have such a discussion with your wife to know what your wife thinks. You already feel it in the air. And so if that means a vacation, if that means slowing down, if that means more delegation, if that's me- that means you going yourself into a men's Bible study with people that actually understand you, uh, it is possible to find all these things and have these parameters that protect you mentally, emotionally, and physically. It is a lot more stressful when you're tired. Mm. And people think we're superhuman beings. We're not. And when we're not immune to anything. Uh, so first of all, if you're a pastor, thank you for doing what you're doing. Thank you for shepherding the flock of God. Um, and keep on going. Do not grow weary of doing good. And sometimes it's discouraging when you don't see the fruit. But I also want to challenge you as the evangelist to also ask God, 
what God do you want us to start considering that we haven't done yet? What are we doing that you want us to stop? And being honest with that on a board level and a staff level and and being real because uh, what used to work five years ago may not be working right now. And so as the millennials come in, it's very, you know, different to reach them. And sometimes we have to change up things. But first of all, protect your walk with Jesus, protect your uh, family time and learn to delegate. And then don't pretend that you know exactly what you're doing (laughs) because we don't most of the time. And sometimes uh, it takes a a, a whole new realm of humility to actually admit, hey, guys, uh, you know what? I I think we need some help, you know, a third party consultant or some training or our team don't have all the skills that we have, what what we need. And so I think all of that, just being honest with yourself and having that fresh walk with God is so important. And that's that's the balance of emotional, mental and physical and spiritual all in one. Definitely. That's awesome. Now, what, what I love about in your new book, Be the Hands and Feet, is that you're very you're very open. You're very honest, right? Very vulnerable. And I love that. You're just authentic. You just keep things real. And one of the things that you mentioned, you talked about um, kind of finding that balance. Uh, and you write about that in the book on how to find that balance between ministry and family and, and life in general. Can you talk just a little bit more about um, the importance of that balance and how you can you know, kind of find that balance and kind of stay in that balance? For any pastors and leaders, you know, most of us are visionaries. And as soon as we achieve a goal, we're already looking at the next goal. And we let the good and excellent things of our life and our ministry sometimes distract us from the most important things. And so uh, for me, again, your walk uh, and your family, um, it's the utmost importance. And God doesn't love you for what you do. He loves you because you're His. And I don't want to repeat what anyone else has said, but here on this podcast, I just want to tell everyone that God's not done with us. Mm. Uh, He wants to take us to new levels. He wants to teach us deeper things. He wants us as a church in America to mobilize. If God can use a man without arms and legs to be his hands and feet, then God can use any willing heart. And God can use your church no matter how big or small it is. And it's really the, the, the mentality of that leadership. Um, in that inner circle, being transparent with your own team, they see that leadership is right there and then really genuine and and full of compassion. And as a team, we are on our knees asking God, God, help us to reach our community. I really pray uh, even for pastors to to challenge their own thinking as far as that fivefold ministry where it involves the apostles, the teachers, um, and, and then you've got the evangelists as well, part of the fivefold ministry. And I really believe that God wants the lost in America, um, saved. And, and, and unfortunately, it's really easy to get in this mundane routine every Sunday consumer mentality wherein we're just making sure that we're managing what we have. Yet, I really believe that God's house needs to be full and that out of all the pockets of resources, God's pocket of resources is unlimited. Um, and so um, I, I just want people to know that there is a balance that Yes, we, we must find our own balance and, and, and celebrate the good and excellent things, but at the same time being humble enough to not forget the important things and then see how God wants us to expand his territory and his kingdom here on earth. Uh, I'm actually excited. I really feel that the youth, the next generation, are the, the generation for this country. Uh, Bible clubs in, in high schools, you know, One Voice Student Ministries, they, they've got 200, 300 uh, uh, school kids coming together every single lunch. I, I feel like we're on a virgin cusp of 
possibly a season of desperation in this country that'll really bring us to our knees and say, God, okay, what do you want us to do? If that means a correction, if that means a change of mode of operation and, and angle of, of approach, or if that means to stop doing something, if that means to start doing something else, I feel like uh, as the leaders, the pastors of, of this country, know that you're not alone and know that everyone's feeling the pressure and it's not just you. And we can stand together as one, uh, unified uh, with our teams and, and really say, okay, God, what do you want us to do in this season? And what is the new balance for this season? Yeah, that's good. And I love the fact that you you talk about um, you know the reality that we're not in this alone. Because I think oftentimes in ministry, right, we can get kind of focused in and, you know, there's, there's, you know, the day by day grind of ministry. There's, you know, maybe, you know, for some of our pastors, there's, you know, congregant who's complaining about something Mm. or, you know, and so you kind of get boiled in there, but, but the reminder and the hope for us is that we're all in this together. And one of the things I absolutely love about your ministry, I love about this book is you talk about the fact that uh, we're not in competition as pastors, right? So let's talk a little bit about that. Look, um, I, I want everyone to know that it's not about um, you know how many even come to our church. It's you being faithful with God's calling in the flock that He's given you, mm. and you your church doesn't have to emanate anybody else's. I feel so sorry for the bands out there that feel like they need to sound like somebody else, mm. and I feel so sad for you know also the bands out there that want to record their own music, you know, and and. Praise God with a new song, but the pastor's like, no, we're sticking to these 12 songs for the next six months. <laughs> um, we don't have to look at anybody else as far as competition or comparison, but it's just being real and uh, not being afraid to start doing something or stop doing something and, and trusting in God's leadership there. I really feel, though, that, that uh, in unity and not being in competition we continue to look at different churches from the inside of the four walls instead of it's outside the four walls. It's like, how can we together bring those people outside the four walls in the four walls? And that's got, that should be nothing to do with our denomination or our style of preaching or our doctrine differences. It's all about Jesus. And I actually really believe that the church is disabled. Mm. And, and we don't know how to fish. Mm. We don't know how to talk to anybody who's been hurt by the church. We don't know how to teach our members of our church how to even just authentically say, how can you in five minutes tell me who you were before Jesus, BC, and who are you and what has it really done for you after? Mm. I don't know how many Christians can actually say that in five minutes. And it's got nothing to do with the fear of public speaking. Right. It's all about the understanding that we are on a mission and we are commissioned to go and preach the gospel to all four corners of the globe and make disciples. At the same time, um, not being afraid of raising up other evangelists. I'm an evangelist. I'm going to talk about evangelism (laughs) because to me, your church can double in in five weeks. We've done a pilot in a week in in Dallas. We did six nights in a row. Um, We were their evangelist ministry evangelistic ministry for six nights in a row, a church membership of 1,400, saw 12,813 people through the doors in six nights in a row, more decision cards for Jesus Christ than actually members of the church. This was only two years ago here in Dallas, Texas, and 20% of them, 280 of them are still plugged into that church. That church grew by 20% in a week. You do that five times over, that church doubles in five weeks. That's no joke. Wow. Who talks about a church doubling in five weeks in America, doubling in 10 years, 50 years? No, I'm talking like where 
where are we to understand we as the pastors are pastors in the gifting and calling? I don't think I'll ever be a pastor. I don't think God's called me to be a pastor. I'm called to be an evangelist. Mm -hmm. But how the evangelist works with the church typically doesn't work so well. And sadly, when you look at any ministry outreach, only 3% of these outreaches actually are retaining on average people to actually go to the church on a long-term basis. So Life Without Limbs, we have a tent now, 8,000-person tent. I just spoke in it 14 nights in a row, and 20% of the new believers came back to the tent for the discipleship courses led by the local church cell group leaders. Wow. Forging friendships, because what's happened here, the, the, the reality of, the, of America is that there is no trust. Mm-hmm. No one trusts a church, number one. Number two, really, uh, it, it, you have to build trust long term, right? Um, but look at the next generation. Who trusts the older generation? And so mm-hmm. if we mobilize them in a way that they outreach to their community and we forge friendships, not in a church building. And it took humility for 12 churches, Jason, to come together and unite under this outreach for them to know that this evangelist, Nick Vujicic, is not planning his own church. He's not stealing congregants. Another congregation is not stealing my members. This is all for Jesus. So when you have that paradigm shift, the doors of opportunity and harvest, it's ripe for harvest. We see 10 to 20% of any audience come forward. We've seen a million people give their life to Jesus Christ face to face, but we ain't doing anything without the local church. How do we help the church to be the hands and feet of God, see the evangelists rise, and help the church disciple those new beginning believers and not just, quote unquote, plug them into a church? Mm. I hate that phrase. I'm sorry. We need to befriend them. Not p- just plug him into right. a cell group. I can go into a cell group, Jason, for eight years with you and me, and I can hide anything in my underpants over eight <laughs> years. No problem. Right, right. But it's when you have that authentic, genuine discipleship course and the be- the beginning things are, are done, not just say, okay, get into plug. It's taking time and actually meeting their needs. I nearly cried, Jason, when one pastor told me that his daughter adopted an African 10-year-old girl who came to the States, California, Mm -hmm. and she needed faith-based counseling. They did not have it. They didn't find it in California. They had to go interstate for 30 days for a faith-based counseling center. I feel for the pastors sometimes, actually, that we kind of turn a blind eye. If someone comes in with PTSD Mm -hmm. or PAS, uh, post-abortion stress, how do you how do you sit down with somebody who's just attempted suicide? Now we go to those people, you know, in the hospital and maybe say a blessing and pray with them and give them a scripture. But is that it? Mm. It's it, it's it's when we. I also feel as a, as a church, we need to find those Christian experts. I feel like those Christian experts that cannot say the J word in their own professional right. realm. Right. We as the church should employ them in a county of Ventura County, which is where I'm from. To me, I think 70 churches don't really know how to deal with the counseling issues of 50% of the issues, wherein I believe that when our Christian counselors come together 
and we employ them. So many churches employ a psychologist who can say the J word and not just prescribe them a pill, right? Right. And tell them, hey, get plugged into a local church. We're talking about the foster adoption. We're talking about those who need counseling. We we are meeting the needs of the community and it's not up to the pastor. Right, right. It's impossible for the pastor to counsel with everyone. Exactly. And it's impossible for the pastor to now put all the training in all your team. I really feel there is a shift that needs to happen where evangelism and meeting the needs of our community must take a shift. And that's where we have being the hands and feet, being active in our community and doing something different. Yeah, I love that. And that it all speaks back to um, kind of this recurring theme uh, that you share and that we see in the book. Again, this idea that we're not alone. We're in this thing together. It's, it's the big big kingdom view, you know, That's as opposed it. to us getting all segmented exactly. into what we're doing in our you know, own little place. It's like you're saying, if the churches could come together yep. and say, listen— we have the, the hope and the truth of Jesus Christ, the greatest thing in the world. There are people that are in great pain, that, that are suffering. And we as any individual pastor, individual church can't meet all those needs. But the beauty of the body of Christ is together we can. Right? Uh, that's it. Right. High five across the, across <laughs> right. the You got it. That's exactly what it's all about. And that's my passion. I love that. I love that. One of the cool things that that you have in here is this, um, you call it the nine keys to the Great Commission. Oh, now yeah. you're testing me. That's, yes. Yeah, so that's, that's great. <laughs> now, I wish we had time to go through all all nine of them because right. they're fantastic. But I, right. I did want to touch on just a couple because- um, And they're just suggestions, they really got me Jason. thinking. Yeah. I just want you to know, they're just suggestions from a guy who's been in 68 countries right. and seen, seen what's worked yeah. in, in other places- and mentalities of other churches around the world. Yeah, that's awesome. One of them, uh, the very first one, key number one, is reaching the lost and teaching them how to evangelize. And the reason that caught me is oftentimes we'll, we'll see people talk about reaching the lost. But you didn't say you need to reach the lost. You said you need to reach the lost and teach them how to evangelize. So it's like immediately as they come to Christ, we're encouraging and helping them that the natural thing of a Christ follower is to share Christ, right? Now, yeah, many people say, but they need to know a lot more about the Bible, <laughs> which on one hand is true, but that's why you're there to help them. But phase two of that whole thing, once you know like the first fundamentals of Christianity and what is the Bible and what is the Holy Spirit and what's the relationship with you and God the Father and the Godhead, the Trinity and those basic things. I remember when I gave my life, my life to Jesus Christ, I wanted to tell the whole world that Jesus lived, but I had no idea how to tell him. And and it's not like they have to go through a, a big, big training, but it's just being real. In like I said, how does the average Christian know how to put in words how God changed their life? Mm-hmm. That's the a basic fundamental that that we can go and share that faith and not be like taboo about it. You know, well, I I just want them to maybe come to church one day or. They'll see how much I love them, and maybe they'll ask me questions. No. <laughs> you can tell you, you know, turn up the notch, you know, right. and tell them, hey, what do you think about, you know, life and philosophy? But many people don't know how to evangelize because they're scared of the questions that's going to come, and they don't know the answers to the questions. Mm. Great questions. Like, why does God allow us to have pain? Right. That's one of the biggest reasons why people don't become a Christian, but at least getting them familiar straight up the bat, straight, straight off the bat. We are here not just to enjoy life and know God, but when we go to heaven, 
the only thing that we take with us is our soul and we get jewels in our crown. Do you know when we get the jewels in our crown? Mm. How many people you've told about Jesus? And when I see God face to face, he might look over my shoulder and say, well done, my good and faithful servant, but who else did you bring? Right. And that's the bottom line. Nothing else matters. Have we lived out our faith? Yes, that by our fruit, they will know something's different. Mm -hmm. But who did you bring to church? Who did you invite? Who did you have over for dinner? And let them know, hey, there's a change that happened in my life. Oh, tell me about it. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and I know that, that you've shared that a lot of pastors have, have shared with you, you know, their frustrations of, you know, that that their churches, they're not reaching more lost people in their churches, that, that most, most people who are attending their churches are just kind of content and their primary responsibility is I show up every week and I get fed um, as opposed to saying, hey, we're on a mission, right? Yeah. And, and, and this is kind of what you're speaking to here, this idea of, of you know, how do we tell our story of how Christ changed our lives? And it's really as simple as that. And sometimes I think in the church we overcomplicate things, right? I believe so. So instead of instead of just keeping it simple and saying, hey, Jesus transformed your life, just simply share that story. And almost giving permission to share that story, I think will help us see more and more people um, come to commit their lives to Christ, right? That's the message of the book. Be the hands and feet is knowing that God can use any story, anyone. It's not that Nick's extraordinary. It's that I serve an extraordinary God who's the one high, most high God, and he loves us all. And what you've gone through, Jason, is different than what I've gone through. Mm -hmm. So if we see a limbless boy on the street, guess who's going to go talk to him? Me or you? Me. Right. (laughs) And so I know his pain, but maybe you've gone through something different than I have, and another person walks in the door, and you're like, yeah, I know exactly how that feels. I'm like, well, I don't. Mm -hmm. And so God can use us all that even when we don't get a miracle, we can still be a miracle for someone else. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And and, uh, that reminds me of just the redeeming quality of God. That's one of my favorite things about God is he redeems stuff, right? No matter matter what has happened in our life, you know, it, it can be painful. It can be harmful to us. But at the same time, God can take that and redeem it for his glory and for his good. And so I think that's the beauty. beauty Amen. That we see. And I think the challenging times uh, as a CEO and a numbers guy as well, um, the the giving patterns of the average Christian uh, have changed. Mm. And and I can't tell you how sad my heart is sometimes backstage, how many people pray that the tithing is good and the offering is good and, you know, all that. I'm like, are you serious? Like, we just we just doing God's home here. You know, we we. We're not worrying about that stuff. And as long as we focus on that stuff and how many people are are here and how many people can we hold and how many people can we engage to be leaders of this, it's making sure that we understand that uh, Jesus came to serve and we must be a church to go out and serve. And I think what's going to sustain and rejuvenate the body of Christ is when we can look at each other and sometimes it takes desperation for us to be real with ourselves to say, okay, we're talking about missions in Africa. We're talking about missions in India. We're talking about missions in Cambodia. Fantastic, beautiful. But what are we doing in our own local city? Right. There are still 17,000 homeless people within five blocks by five blocks in L.A. County. Uh, Michael Reagan, adopted son in the Reagan family, mm-hmm. he said if all 117,000 churches in America took care of two foster kids a year, we would never have needed a foster care system. Wow. Think about that right. for a second. Just think about that for a second. We need to move. We are the answer to America's biggest problems. We, the church, right, right. the bride of Christ, 
is the answer to every American problem. That's powerful. That and that reminds me of another one of those nine keys. So um, it says this: become the biggest free resource in the community. And you've touched on that a little bit, about, you know, talking about bringing right. in counselors and those types of things. Right. But but talk a little bit more um, to our pastors about what does it look like for churches to come together and big be that resource? Do we really believe what we believe is the question? Do mm. we really believe the miracles that they were uh, uh, supernaturally feeding people out of this rejuvenating basket of food that kept on going and going and going? Do we believe in that God today that he will provide as we see the vision of whatever and however God wants us to outreach to our community, that he will supply every single need. We can't outgive God. And when you talk about um, outgiving God, it's always about in the tithing of coming back to the church, which, yes, the, the ministry and the mission of church is great. It's wonderful. But go that extra leap of faith where the oil never runs out, where the mm. bread never runs out, where, the, where, where, where when you open your arms of love and you realize, let's take a stock take inventory kind of honest look. How many kids in our backyard um, are on food stamps? How many single mothers are there who would love a Christmas gift? Wonderful to do everything and anything. And yes, Nick, we we don't want another program. Mm -hmm. And yes, I know as a pastor, my dad used to have many people come up and say, "Hey, pastor, we should do this." And you know <laughs> right, what he right. says? Yeah, go ahead and do it. Yep. <laughs> but that's what that's what I'm telling all the pastors to do. Ask God and tell your congregants to ask God what can they do to make a difference in our own community and go and do it on God's behalf. And so we need to give, 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 give as much as we can because God will always give more than we can ever mm. give. That's good. And we as churches, we can be that place where people who are in need, uh, whatever that need might look like, right? Emotional, physical, whatever that might be. We should be the place where people can turn because we serve an amazing, great God, right? And so we have the opportunity to, to meet them right where they're at and not only provide them with kind of physical, emotional, but also encourage them with the spiritual the spiritual gifts. Of and God. I'm not saying that no churches are doing that. I just wish way more churches were right. doing that and instigating that mentality in the church because when you do that, you're actually breaking every mindset of parent thinking that you as the pastor is the spiritual leader of their home. You're not the spiritual leader of their home. You, the parent, you're the spiritual leader of your children's lives. Mm. So if you don't open the word of God, if you don't show them generosity, if you don't show them forgiveness, if you don't show them kindness and meekness and patience and temperance and self-control, how do you think your children will ever know what a God-loving home is? It's not determined on your pastor, and it's when you put it back on the family saying, hey, how are you engaging your teenagers somehow? I tell you, when my, my, when my boys are 15 years old-ish, I'm taking them to an orphanage. I'm taking them to a cancer mm -hmm. ward. I'm taking them to show them homeless people. I'm taking them to Union Rescue Mission because it's not about me, 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 and what can I get? I want my iPad. I want my tech. Blah, blah, blah. No, it's about you understanding as a member of the body of Christ, with or without a church, you are the church. And you're the church of God outside the four walls as well as in the four walls. We, the body, we are the church. Amen. That's good. Well, one of the things you touched on there, which which you write about in the book, is this idea that, you know, sometimes people who attend churches, they become dependent upon the church, right? Rather than 
growing up and understanding that, yeah, the church is a great place to celebrate what God's doing, to, to help introduce people to the community of faith, but we need to learn to feed ourselves. That's the biggest thing. I, I really feel that when they become dependent on it, do you know that in Africa that it was seen as a second-class citizen if you had your own farm and grew your own food? And in fact, you're a first-class citizen instead of a second-class citizen if you actually buy the $30 bag of rice from China and depend on aid and depend on imports. Mm. We become conditioned to depending on being fed, being fed, being fed. But we are in a generation that actually this next generation, they don't know much about the Bible. They don't bring their Bible to the church. Mm. They don't highlight their own pages. They don't study the Word of God. They don't memorize Scripture. They go to their social clubs once a week. Mm. And if we were actually honest, Jason, and actually did an anonymous survey across this country, I wonder how many sexually active Christians there were in the church, Mm. in the youth groups. How many gossip, how many bully, and how many are sexually active and addicted to pornography what are we teaching this next generation? How right. much scripture are we actually getting them to feed themselves? This is the problem. We need to teach them God in truth and in love. Sure, we can make it entertainment, you know, so people <laughs> can come and show. But how many of your students, if you're a youth pastor, ask them to write down how many scriptures do they know? Right. They might run out of 10. How many Christians, Jason, can actually pray for more than two minutes? You know how many Christians have told me, I don't know how to pray for more than two minutes. Here's a solution. Write down 10 things that you're thankful for, and that's over two minutes. I spend 20 minutes on the toilet every single day because my body needs that. My spirit needs that connection with the Alpha and Omega. How dare I think that I can go out of the front door of my house going naked on a territory where there are fiery darts coming at Mm. me? When you're standing in front of the gates of hell redirecting traffic, it gets hot. And we don't understand that we're at war every single day. And we don't understand that we are surrounded by a spiritual realm, that there is a roaring lion devouring the next generation. And the only way that they will ever be protected is the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. There. Those are the two hands. We need to really be honest with ourselves. Church of America, let's do an assessment on that. Amen. Amen. So what what encouragement or advice might you give pastors who say, you know what? I, I hear you, Nick. Yeah. And I see that's true. Yeah. I, I see that's true. What practical steps would you say Love pastors it. go for it? For me, the practical steps were in, the, the, and this seems so much information, and I haven't shared all this in my book, but just seeing you face to face, I feel the Holy Spirit in the room. Mm-hmm. I really feel that um, the first steps that we can do is finding those who are doing it right. Mm. And in those nine things I I right. mentioned, it's cultivating and mentoring those to become mentors to others. Mm. It's the delegation. That's the leadership. And it's understanding that the mature should be mentoring the intermediate and the intermediate should be mentoring the beginners. That's a healthy church. And that's when we become real first with our quote-unquote mature of the crop and say, okay, what's the plan in how we can be those cell group leaders? Yes, cell group leaders help, but really have that engagement of connectivity where you're responsible for three souls this year Mm. and you're going to have coffee with them one-on-one and you're going to speak scripture into them. And so it's really 
friendship and connectivity. And in a world where there is no connectivity because right. of technology, that's where the discipleship can really come alive. When someone actually takes the time and looks across and puts a phone aside and looks you in the same, looks looks you in the eye and says, "How are you doing?" Mm. That's when you actually spark something that a consumer mentality Christian totally breaks out of. When you have a purpose bigger than you, mm. and no matter what goes wrong in you and inside of you at 35 years old, you're mentoring a 25-year-old. And you know that that one and a half hours every month or, or every two weeks is investing in somebody else's life. And you get out of your bubble and it ignites purpose. That's what the body of Christ is looking for. Purpose. There is a purpose in your community, empowered by the local church. Empower your members to then really disciple one-on-one. I feel like there's a lot in that discipleship of one-on-one and engagement. I love that. I love that. And you write about a lot about mentoring yes, in the book. Oh, I you do. touch on I, I can tell it's a passion of yours, right? <laughs> and you know what I love about that? I love an evangelist who loves discipleship. You know what I mean? Because sometimes sometimes we get this picture of the evangelists, you know, they pop in and pop out, right? And um, But your heart is, is not only for proclaiming the hope of Christ, but for helping people on that ongoing day-by-day journey, getting deeper and deeper and deeper. And I love, and it just resonates in, in, in who you are throughout the book. So fantastic stuff on mentoring and and really digging deep and doing life together and, and going on that journey. So I absolutely and, love and that. And we're learning a lot as a ministry. Lifewithoutlimbs.org right now is under the, the conceptual infancy phase of actually building a library of 200 videos for different demographics from the elementary to high school to general audience in helping people walk with God. Um, for those especially who will not go to a church and then hopefully we'll plug them into the local church. Awesome. I love that. I love that. So tell me, Nick, um, what is the latest in your ministry, right? What's going on? Let's the cool stuff happening right now. Well, look, the the tent's really exciting. Um, That tent hopefully will be pitched up twice in 2018 uh, in its full capacity of 8,000 people. Wow. Um, And so we actually hope to do it uh, in Southern California, two weeks and uh, one week each. Uh, in two different locations, and then we hold the discipleship classes afterward. Um, so to see a 20% retention of the new believers coming back to the tent for the discipleship courses, that was our first time trying it. We think we can get it up to 30%. People awesome. are already getting baptized, which is awesome. So the idea is, like conceptually, this is not confirmation, but we're hoping to do Santa Barbara mm-hmm. and Oxnard in bilingual uh, with Spanish. And um, if we see 8,000 chairs, 14 nights in a row, 100,000 people, uh, 10 to 20% get saved, 30% come back through the tent uh, for the discipleship and get baptized. I mean, we're talking big numbers. I mean, can you imagine the day that Christianity Today and some uh, magazine publications here at Outreach (laughs) actually report, you know, 4,000 baptisms in one day in Santa Barbara? That's what we're talking about, getting plugged into a local church. And so... We're excited about that. I just came back from Ukraine. Um, I was speaking in front of 800,000 people face-to-face. 400,000 people gave their life to Jesus Christ. This is just in September 2017. And it was uh, translated in 20 languages, broadcasted in 26 countries. Uh, We are going back to Ukraine and Russia for some talks for the next couple years ahead of planning. But we are very excited about our prison ministry. Mm. Life Without Limbs has a prison ministry. We've been in 450 prison so far, and it's an evangelical uh, presentation 
of the gospel, uh, and then six units of discipleship there facilitated by the chaplain. So if you're a chaplain, please go to lifewithoutlimbs.org for that. Uh, We're also partnering up with Teen Challenge and actually putting an evangelism program together where we can do street evangelism with the Army of Teen Challenge, double it up with our social media. So uh, basically, uh, we are piloting 600 students preaching the gospel to 20 people in a day, therefore mobilizing all of Teen Challenge nationwide, 25,000 staff and volunteers and students, double that up with social media. So 50,000 people will actually one day uh, next year in 2018 go and preach the gospel to 20 people in a day. One million Americans will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ in one day. That's just the beginning. So we are dreaming big. We believe that Jesus' second coming is close. Uh, We know that uh, the the enemy, he knows that his days are numbered and his days are short. So that's why this earth is getting worse and worse and worse. We know it's not from God, the pain, but he's allowing it for his greater plan. And so I'm really excited on all counts uh, for Life Without Limbs, including One Voice Student Missions. We're partnering them uh, with them for some content evangelism and discipleship um, in Bible clubs in public schools in America and outside of America. So we're really excited about that. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, you got a lot going on, brother. We got a couple things going <laughs> yeah, on. Yeah, it's good. I, and I love the tent story. We don't we don't have time to get into oh, it, but it's if people want to yeah, story. it's in the book. Talks about the whole tent. Very cool stuff. Um, going on. So if you want to learn more about that, I definitely encourage you to pick up Be the Hands and Feet, um, Nick's newest book. And um, man, we just really appreciate having you with us uh, in all that you're doing. How can people, if they want to get in touch with you, your ministry, what's the best way to kind of connect with you? We have 1,200 families or people actually sponsoring us on a $25 a month um, sponsorship. So if you want to be a hope partner, go to lifewithoutlimbs.org, go see some free resources that are there. Um, really, really excited with what's ahead. And there'll be many, many updates. Go to facebook.com slash LWL hope, LWL life without limbs, hope, um, on Facebook and, um, just come to the website, see how God moves you and maybe actually see if your church, uh, would like to, um, get involved on a, on a new model of outreach. I must say this, uh, we are talking to four square denomination and a branch of church of God. Uh, wherein, uh, because of my growing family, we're traveling less, um, but really reaching more people. So when I go into a time zone like PST or Mountain Time or EST, uh, we actually will stay camped at a church six nights in a row, but having hundreds of churches tuning in Mm -hmm. for the six-night outreach. So that six-night outreach, we've already seen fruit, like the fruit that I told you, 20% membership growth right there and then. Uh, in the church and mobilizing your church like never before. And you can only imagine the mentality of that church uh, afterwards, seeing right, that excited. many people yeah, coming exactly. out. They are not Fired afraid up. to preach the That's gospel, right, right, right? right? And so that kind of change, it's a paradigm shift. And so we want the Church of America to experience that. And I may not be able to come to your church face-to-face, but through simulcast, mm. we're looking for um, small churches who may never get a Nick Vujicic or Billy Graham or Greg Laurie there, but simulcast me in. And, uh, and consider Life Without Limbs a slot in your missions budget and uh, report to your church that your tithing dollars help Nick to go and, and, and preach the gospel, but also mobilize the small church. Right. I think that is the untapped resources. The bigger churches will always get bigger. We're hearing that the churches between 300 and 600, they're struggling, but the small churches are always there. And I think there's an untapped army of small churches Amen. saying, wow, hey, God can use us too. We don't need to be big. 
We just need to be faithful. Amen. I love that. I love yeah. that vision. Great stuff, brother. Well, thank you again for being with us here on Church Jason, this has been one of the most fun interviews for a while. So thank you That's for awesome, being brother. real. I really appreciate that. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website, churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.